Well, welcome to this month's Ask Your Herb Doctor. My name's Andrew Murray. Uh, for those of you who perhaps have never listened to the show, they run from 7 till 8 p.m. every third Friday of the month. And from 7.30 typically until 8 o'clock, we invite callers to a call in uh, with questions related to the month subject. Uh, the toll free number is 1 800 568 3723. That's 1 800 KMUD RAD. And if you're in the 707 area code, the number is 707-923-3911. Well, I think I should probably start off. It's uh, January 2018. Happy New Year. Uh, nice and cold outside. Certainly not very environmentally enriching. Um, but I'm sure there's plenty of things that can be done. And I know uh, we're probably going to get into some of the things uh, as a recap uh, on environmental enrichment but this month's subject is going to be uh, I won't say specifically uh, for the ladies out there um, but a lot of what we're going to talk to uh, Dr. Pete tonight about is related to female hormones and uh, whilst progesterone is not typically female uh, it is produced by males um, progesterone as a topic of discussion for night will, tonight will run through many of the disorders uh, that we're going to cover and some in particular uh, I wanted just to highlight again the difficulty um, if you are looking online for information I mean the internet is an excellent source but it's also a good source of disinformation um, so you have to be really careful where you pick your uh, narrative um, typically clinical journals and clinical trial published information is also uh, yeah, it's also skewed. It's not always, uh, you can't always take it on face value that that result is actually what, what happened. Uh, so we're going to get into a couple of instances where some very prominent uh, peer-reviewed trials uh, with thousands of people, I mean huge cohorts of people that were involved in these trials to try and demonstrate uh, an effect and uh, particularly uh, with regard to progesterone, the effects uh, of progesterone on traumatic brain injury are one of those things uh, we're going to look at. Uh, and then we're going to look at uh, things like the effect on cognitive impairment. Uh, we're going to look at the effects on Alzheimer's and other neurodegenerative disorders. And then postpartum depression and epilepsy, uh, men men uh, menstrual-related epilepsy, catamenial epilepsy, and then sleep apnea. So... I'm sure from a uh, perspective of postpartum and progesterone for the women uh, who have had maybe PMS symptoms or estrogen excess symptoms, which are going to be very much tied to uh, tonight's discussion, who suffer with polycystic ovaries, uh, you know, what they call breast mice, um, so cysts, cystic formations, obviously endometriosis, and then difficulty conceiving. Uh, so if those females that are listening, if it's pricked your interest, there's a lot that can be done about this. Um, I graduated 20 years ago now uh, with an honours degree in herbal medicine and uh, I've worked with Dr. Pete here for the last 9 to 10 years and uh, a lot of what we found out from Dr. Pete has been pretty revelational because when I was studying herbal medicine in England, uh, even the medical literature, and we were trained by doctors and endocrinologists and pathologists and all the other ologists, uh, but they all came out of a medical background. Uh, we weren't really taught by 
uh, holistic practitioners apart from maybe the materia medica uh, side of um, the, the uh, you know the education so we were taught by doctors and uh, we had gynecologists and physiologists and pathologists so but they had the same kind of medical background and a lot of the uh, a lot of the things we learned uh, I've later found out from Dr. Pete and from doing research online uh, looking to see deeper there actually is quite a lot of untruth in what we were told as is uh, what's good for you so hopefully these uh, these shows are all online uh, our website which is www.westernbotanicalmedicine.com there's a resource tab uh, and every one of the shows that we've recorded uh, with Dr. Pete here since 2008 are there i think there may be the last one or two months have yet to be put up but uh, essentially it's a great resource and it's free so people should definitely go there and look at that and then um obviously dr pete's website and he's very much somebody uh, i want to support fully um his uh, website is uh referenced with lots of lots of articles uh, all of these articles uh, i should say are fully referenced so his speciality i'll let i'll just introduce him here in a second and uh, he can just uh, give you his bio but uh, i know people that are listening who probably tuned in just for the show know him but there's always people that i come across who've not heard him before and so obviously uh, he's a great resource to further learn and uh, relearn some untruths that we've uh, been been brainwashed with so uh, i don't see the engineers talking to somebody i don't know if he's talking to dr pete or not um let me just see if he's if he's there i'm here Oh, hi, Dr. Pete. Well, thanks so much for joining us again. And I, I, as always, I know uh, some people have mentioned on the forums that, you know, your, your bio, we, they've heard it all before. But you know what? There's people that haven't heard you. So I'm just going to carry on and as usual and please ask you to uh, give a, a background, uh, your academic background and your uh, your research since then. Um, my Ph.D. study was at the University of Oregon in 1968 to 72 uh, my dissertation was on uh, reproductive aging. And uh, my intention when I went uh, back to graduate school in biology was to study the brain. But uh, I found that the, the brain research was the most doctrinaire next to genetics. And so I looked around and found that the reproductive physiology uh, was actually oriented towards science. <laughs> And uh, my background before that had been studying uh, literature, linguistics, and painting. And uh, it's probably the uh, background in literature that uh, made me think uh, in an adversarial uh, manner in evaluating science uh, rather than an authoritarian, uh, except because the professor said it's true. I think uh, the, the the legal attitude of, of uh, looking for truth by an adversarial approach uh, should apply to medicine and science in general. Yeah. Okay. Well, good. So, uh, as I was preparing uh, material, <clears throat> excuse me, for this evening's show, I was looking at uh, initially. Uh, I wanted to ask you, kind of go through. A list of disorders that I have that will all be found to be linked um, but didn't necessarily want to bounce around all of them in describing one at a time and I, I started off with um, looking at the evidence 
again, wanting to be just like you, very scientifically oriented here and looking for truth in science and wanting and expecting uh, good science to reveal the truth, which it will do impartially. Uh, and it's a reproducible event, which is a defining marker of good science. Um, about traumatic brain injury, and I never actually realized that the numbers were so huge, the amount of people actually suffering with traumatic brain injury, whether these are people uh, that play in uh, professional soccer or boxing or people that get in auto wrecks uh, or people that fall off of you know buildings and ladders and uh, the numbers are pretty staggering, and actually, it's been one of the most difficult to treat conditions. I mean, we never really think—I never thought about it really too much uh, until I started uh, plunging into the papers uh, around the subject. But traumatic brain injury is um, not very well treated, and there, whilst there have been some very good phase one and two trials um, using progesterone, which is going to be the topic of tonight, woven in many different uh, diseases or pathologies um, that although the trial one and two trial results were very promising and they spurred the phase three trials which had huge numbers, uh, cohort numbers of 10,000 in one of them and 1,000 or 1,500 in the other, um, both of these studies, and we'll go on to describe them so people can take a look at it themselves, um, both these studies seemingly found no benefit. Now, I know you've um, described at length the anti-inflammatory and anti-edema to main, mention just a couple uh, of the effects of progesterone. Um, but the swelling that occurs in traumatic brain injury is one of the main contributors of all the damage, along, of course, with all the leakage and the um, inflammatory cytokines that are released uh, as a process of cell breakdown and uh, rupture. Um, so given that, Given that the phase one and two trials were so promising and spurred the, the, uh, the call for a phase three trial, um, I read both of the most recent ones, uh, the PROTECT-3 and the SYNAPSE trial uh, on uh, progesterone for severe traumatic brain injury, saying that there was no beneficial effect. When, And we'll bring this out in a little bit after you've described uh, perhaps your understanding of progesterone and how you definitely would advocate progesterone, progesterone for swelling, and then we'll go go you know bounce around the uh, uh, production, the endogenous production of progesterone because it's very very different to estrogen, uh, for example, being produced in the CNS and the brain cell, um, astrocytes and uh, oligodendrocytes as well as uh, gonads, etc. So. This the main study here showed no benefit, and it's almost just yet another, gosh, just another closed door, if you like. I, I find more and more as I talk to you and as I look at papers myself that they're really, and I won't, you know, the word conspiracy is thrown around so much, I know, but there does seem to be a real, a real work uh, to undo progesterone's good, um, because in the study, uh, given they did a 120-hour study. Uh, for this particular uh, application of progesterone, uh, they, they said there was no benefit in, uh, in reducing swelling or outcome. But a later piece of work uh, that was done when both of these phase three trials didn't seem to show any benefit uh, was refuted uh, by a uh, professor of uh, neuros... Well, actually, he's a uh, working for the Emory University. Uh, he's basically just been studying brain uh, trauma for the last 20, 30 years, so it's his specialty. Um, he's actually 
revealed some of the faults of the study uh, that are definitely noteworthy. So I was going to start the start the uh, questioning here uh, to you in terms of progesterone and its beneficial effects. Uh, how how do you how do you interpret this uh, this negative effect that was shown in the trials uh, in comparison to truly what progesterone is capable of doing? Um. There have been, I think it was about 15 uh, uh, big studies on brain injury. And interestingly, uh, after uh, overwhelmingly promising results from, for example, using intravenous magnesium to uh, reduce swelling and restore metabolism, uh, all of these, by the time they reached the phase three level, Suddenly, the results were the opposite, and nothing turned out to be beneficial for treating human brain trauma, even though the previous uh, uh, smaller studies and many, many animal studies were showing overwhelming good uh, uh, increased survival, increased full recovery, and so on. And uh, the fact that something happens at the phase three level, I think, is very suspicious uh, when the government and big corporations get involved. Uh, I suspect that they really are protecting uh, drugs that are not generic the way progesterone is. Uh, Urea, I don't think there's ever been a, a major study of treating brain trauma with simply intravenous urea but it has had just amazingly good uh, results. And I think probably a a serious study could be done using all of the known beneficial things, uh, urea, magnesium, uh, progesterone, uh, hypertonic saline solution, and so on. Uh, I think uh, if you do everything that's known to be beneficial to the brain, you'd get even better results than with a single uh, drug-like treatment. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the worst thing about this big protect study, I think, was that they uh, not only didn't give uh, the, uh, a big enough dose, mm-hmm. uh, but they gave it uh, uh, emulsified <clears throat> with, I think it was... Uh, uh, intralipid, uh, a soybean right. oil. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, the amount of soybean emulsion that they were giving intravenously in animal studies, it in itself is harmful. Yeah, it was uh, a 6% it, solution. I, I think it was about 1970, uh, someone injected an emulsified soy oil into rats and showed that on the first pass through the brain, of the oil was taken up into the brain. There's no uh, blood-brain barrier that functions against oil. And then they dissected uh, the brain and showed that that one dose of oil was enough to alter the morphology of brain cells. (laughs) So uh, intravenous uh, treatment with something supposedly beneficial with a, a known... Uh, uh, toxin toxin to the brain with a long history of of evidence. uh, 
uh, it's hard to imagine how uh, corporate and government uh, interest putting millions of dollars into the right. project uh, could have been that ignorant. Yeah. Okay, and the other thing I noticed from that trial, you mentioned the uh, 6% soybean oil that they used. They were only using 2 milligrams of progesterone per milliliter for the active treatment, and then the uh, drug infusion was started intravenously with a loading dose of 0.71 milligrams per kilo body weight per hour for one hour, followed by 0.5 milligrams per kilo per hour for, for the rest of the 119 hours. So they were getting two, and I'd like you to put this in perspective for people that are listening because maybe people don't quite understand the normal values that people, uh, females are exposed to during the menstrual cycle and or pregnancy. So two, two milligrams of progesterone per mil, um, so basically half a milligram per kilo per hour for 120 hours. So would you put either half a, half a milligram or two milligrams in perspective? Uh, of, of the progesterone exposure that most females uh, enjoy? Um, some people have reported that in the last week or two of a healthy pregnancy, a woman's placenta is producing eight or 900 milligrams of progesterone per day. Right. And, and uh, that doesn't uh, do anything uh, potentially harmful. It's very protective women generally feel great the last two or three weeks when their progesterone is at a maximum. So uh, they could easily have given 2,000 milligrams of progesterone per day instead mm. of a few hundred milligrams. Right. Well, this was, this was two, <laughs> two milligrams. So, yeah, two milligrams per hour. Okay, crazy. So that brings me on to the next thing and it took a long time to find this because there's a lot of information re-repeated information information that people are quoting from this same study to say that progesterone is not effective for traumatic brain injury hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and very little actual pro supportive evidence for progesterone's anti-inflammatory effect uh, and uh, brain edema decreasing effect uh, but one person in particular this particular um, doctor who was studying this uh, at Emory University, and his name is uh, Donald Stein. He published uh, a couple of articles back in 2013 when he was very hopeful that this uh, phase three trial was going to show very positive results for progesterone. And uh, I think it took maybe 18 months to two years afterwards uh, for him to publish uh, this latest paper in the Journal of Neurotrauma, uh, dated June 1st, 2017, and it's titled Suboptimal Dosing Parameters as Possible Factors in the Negative Phase 3 Clinical Trials of Progesterone for Traumatic Brain Injury. And it's about a four-page article uh, basically refuting the dose that was given. Uh, and as you mentioned, the uh, emulsifying agent, the polyunsaturated fat that was used, the, the uh, soybean oil that was used uh, as part of the carrier, uh, certainly bringing its own negative inflammatory effects. And uh, you've always talked about uh, PUFAs as being pro-estrogenic, and estrogen obviously is a known water logger, uh, both of neurons and cells. And so all of this is working against any tiny dose of progesterone that was part of the trial. So... Uh, just again, for people that are listening, it's uh, it's very difficult sometimes to wade through all this material and find the facts because a lot of it 
is being promoted by pretty vested interests that um, are plugged into many different levels of academia with people doing follow-up research to get their PhDs, etc. Uh, and we all know uh, from what you've mentioned and from personal experience for people that have been in academia that there is this real egocentric mentality running through the departments uh, and obviously funding that runs through those same mentalities that people don't want to give up. Uh, and so it's very difficult sometimes to find objective truth, but it is out there. And so that's what this show has been around for a long time is to have you on the show and get you uh, to refute what have been believed uh, innocently, I think, for the longest time because we've been taught it and we think these people are telling the truth. Um, but your research shows otherwise. You mentioned the um, estrogenic effect of, of the of polyunsaturated fats. Um, when there's a trauma, the... Uh, uh, Toxicity of the polyunsaturated fats is tremendously amplified by their conversion to the pro-inflammatory prostaglandins. And in any trauma, not just trauma, but any harmful experience of an organism, uh, estrogen is produced in, in the injured tissue and in the whole organism. There can be sunburn or parasites in the intestine or broken bone. Uh, x-ray treatment, uh, any uh, harm you can think of to, due to the organism is going to increase the estrogen production and the conversion of polyunsaturated fats to uh, the, the pro-inflammatory mediators. Right. So this is this is what you would term, or uh, literature would term, the excitotoxic uh, situation. Um, well, that's part of it. That's, that's an even... Uh, more specific part that happens uh, under the influence of estrogen and uh, polyunsaturated fats. That they activate the glutamatergic uh, transmitters in the brain, these literally exciting, excitatory uh, uh, signals, uh, to the point that they become toxic. Uh, and uh, uh, progesterone opposes all of these uh, not just uh, uh, the uh, direct anti-estrogen effect, but it, it blocks the formation of prostaglandins, blocks the release of the stored polyunsaturated fats, uh, blocks the formation of other uh, inflammatory mediators, and, and antagonizes the um, uh, uh, glutamatergic excitotoxins. Uh, every a function of the organism you can think of that's harmed by trauma is intensified by estrogen and polyunsaturated fats, and those are blocked by progesterone. Okay. All right. So you're listening to Ask Your Ob Dr. KMUD Garberville, 91.1 FM. Uh, from 7.30 until the end of the show, 8 o'clock, people are invited to call in with questions either related or unrelated to this month's subject of progesterone and its treatment uh, for traumatic brain injury. Um, we're going to look at uh, cognitive impairment, uh, Alzheimer's, going to touch on that a little. Uh, postpartum depression uh, is quite interesting from a female perspective, postpartum. Uh, catamenial epilepsy, uh, which is a menstrual cycle-related epilepsy, uh, and sleep apnea and how progesterone and CO2 have interrelated effects. So the number, if you're in the area, is 923-3911. Or if you're in the outside area or indeed out of the States, which has happened many times, uh, there's an 800 number, uh, one 800 568 
3723. So we uh, will take your calls from 7.30 on. I saw the lights flashing here just a bit ago. I don't know if you've got anybody on at this point. No, maybe not. Maybe taking questions. Okay, we can always go back to him if he's there. Okay, he's there. <laughs> Let's take this first call. A caller you're on the air. Where are you from? What's your question? Uh, my name is Jeff from New York. I was listening to the comment about progesterone, and progesterone is, I guess, the miracle product, but it, does it only apply to women? Because I think you've mentioned in the past that pregnenolone is sort of universal, but progesterone men have to be careful about, and I'm not, not talking about like a 25-year-old, I'm talking about like a you know, 55 to 70-year-old where the risk of endotoxins is increasing just with basic age. Um, so that's one question um, that I had. The other one is, um, with regard to salt and insomnia, <clears throat> I was actually using uh, sea salt, and I switched over, having read your forum, um, to canning salt. They're actually kosher salt, which is pure salt, doesn't have any other minerals in it. Okay. And I actually think it really helped. And I'm just wondering if you would agree with that and, and sort of why, because I don't seem to be waking up at 3 o'clock in the morning anymore. I seem to be able to sleep through mm-hmm. the night. So it might not be the only item, but anyway, that was the second question. Thank okay. you. Okay. I'll let, I'll let Dr. Pete ask the progesterone, uh, answer the progesterone question with uh, men and progesterone, how safe is it? But I will quickly just say the the whole thing about salt and natural salt and Himalayan salts and deep earth crystal salts, uh, the fact is they do contain a lot of other trace elements and other negative uh, material, and I think that could be in part why uh, there may be disruptions going on on a hormonal level uh, in a type of endocrine uh, fashion with very small picogram concentrations of very questionable heavy metals and other products that can be uh, uh, present in the salt. So all of those colored salts uh, and uh, Himalayan salts, etc., typically have uh, other particles within them that are not not ex- not uh, not beneficial and so i think just like uh, dr pete's talking about white sugar being uh good it doesn't it's not opposed to white sugar at all and i think you find the caramelization product of any organic or brown sugars may be more detrimental than just straight white sugar for its own sake but so you agree with so you use kosher salt do you do you agree that kosher salt and canning salts are the same and that's the product that would be most efficacious for this type of program uh, yeah, I would say that it's a straightforward white sea salt. Um, again, you know, I have to guess I have to question that because sea salt has its own, uh, you know, elements within it that we know are not particularly good for you. But uh, a white, a white sea salt is particularly what we use. What do you think about iodine? Uh, not a good product to, uh, to to supplement with. Obviously, in terms of any. Um, Fukushima fallout or that kind of thing, and obviously there's a uh, you know there's a there's a rationale for it for um, getting it taken up into the into the uh, thyroid gland so that the um, radioactive uh, material doesn't uh, collect there. But um, yeah, Dr. Pete, what do you think about progesterone and men? Oh uh, well, first I'd like to comment that my interest in in salt supplementation was related to the estrogen issue because I I saw premenstrual women. Uh, restricting their salt and making their symptoms worse. And I suggested to a friend uh, that she salt her food to taste, and suddenly she didn't retain water. Uh, salt was acting as a diuretic. And, yeah. and then uh-huh. uh, years later, I, I knew old people who were restricting salt and developing serious insomnia and not improving their blood pressure. So I suggested the same thing to them. And again, 
they went to sleep, got good uh, sleep suddenly, and uh, their blood pressure actually came down. Uh, and um, uh, then I realized that Tom Brewer, with his uh, diet for uh, pregnant women in the 1950s and 60s, uh, had seen the same thing that uh, some people he collaborated with uh, supplemented pregnant women with toxemia symptoms mm-hmm. with huge amounts of salt daily, and their their toxemia essentially was cured. Uh, that's Shanklin and Hoden's book. Uh, anyway, uh, the progesterone uh, I, I used it myself in the uh, after I had worked with it in aging animals, I uh, uh, tried it on my own migraines, and uh, twice in uh, having a, a very intense migraine, I had complete reversal of the symptoms in from one to two minutes, from a total migraine to total wellness uh, after ingesting about 100 milligrams, I guess it was. Uh, and uh, that was what really got me uh, interested in uh, describing it to other people. Uh, and uh, I, uh, when I took too much for too long, I noticed that it had the effect of a cold shower for a day or two, an anti-testosterone effect. But that passes quickly when you stop taking it. And uh, I found uh, as I got older that I could tolerate five milligrams or 10 milligrams a day without that anti-testosterone effect. Several people have told me that it actually seems to reinforce their testosterone. Uh, And I think that works because um, testosterone, when you're under stress, is being converted to estrogen. And uh, if you stop that conversion with uh, progesterone, progesterone like aspirin inhibits the conversion of testosterone to estrogen, you can actually raise your testosterone by blocking that conversion of stress. That's very interesting. Um, the question on iodine a moment ago, I know you've mentioned that, you know, taking a very small amount or even a seemingly small amount can be toxic, but that was in an experiment. So as, as you probably have written incredibly articulately, um, uh, and I don't want to make this a political comment, but, but clearly the fluoridation of the water is something that mm. Americans just literally yeah. can't escape. Yeah. So I'm just wondering, outside the, outside the laboratory, does more iodine make sense in the context of an environment where you're so exposed to fluoridated water that you can't really escape it? Is it counteracted and maybe would uh, suggest more than a small dose to offset the fluoride that, that you're probably consuming without your knowledge? I've never seen a, a test of that idea. I think it should be tested. I, when I spent some time in San Francisco without thinking about the fluoridation of water there, I was using a daily supplement of T3 cytomel. And within a few days, I developed a migraine, which uh, made me assume it was a sudden crash of my thyroid function. And so I looked up. Uh, the uh, interaction, uh, if you take T3 uh, with uh, fluoridated water, if it's in your stomach at the same time, the amount of fluoride in the water will totally knock out 
the dose you're taking. But uh, I, I think there is some effect once it gets in your body, as long as it's circulating as ionic fluoride, uh, I think it will knock out any uh, uh, T3 that it runs into. That's, that's great. I have just one last question, if I may. On amino acids, you say, like gelatin, you're better off taking gelatin because that's how you get your proline and your glycine. It's more bioavailable and cleaner without any additives. But there are some isolated amino acids, um, like taurine, which I think in and of itself may be extremely therapeutic and, and perhaps reduces stress. And the other one that I was interested in is car- carnosine, not carnitine, which you've written well on, but carnosine seems to be in a long list of benefits. Do, do the possible um, risks of additives, are they essentially offset by the fact that those two particular amino acids have a laundry list of benefits? Um, yeah, I, I don't discourage people from taking those if they want to try them, uh, but I don't use them myself. Okay, well, yeah, yeah, okay. Okay, so, and one last question. I am holding my breath for two minutes at the best uh, with my, uh, take a breath, and you let all the air out, and you hold it for a minute and a half. My maximum is two minutes. And then you take one breath in, and you hold it for a minute to a minute and a half. When I do that, I, um, and I have a, my, sometimes I can do it better than others, it seems that that might be a, a good proxy for bag breathing or swimming or whatever to increase your CO2. And is that something that if you practice it over a period of time, as an older person, you can reduce the systemic stress to your body, um, you know, as opposed to putting your whole body in a bag of CO2 gas? <laughs> oh, it, uh, holding your breath does have its uh, value, but... Um, the amount of time you hold it depends on your metabolic rate. If you have a high thyroid function, uh, you might be unconscious after a minute uh, of breath holding. Uh, so if you have a high metabolic rate or low? Mm-hmm. Uh, if you have a high metabolic rate and are producing CO2 and consuming oxygen very fast, uh, the uh, fall off of oxygen su- supply to your brain is going to be twice as fast as the average person and four times as fast as a hypothyroid person. So uh, if you have a high metabolic rate, you don't want to force yourself to uh, go two minutes. Is there a good average for someone who's, like, modestly hypothyroid? I mean, as you get older, everyone becomes hypothyroid, right, to some extent. So, I mean, not to pin you down, but, like, doing it a minute a day, you know, is that a good target, like 30, 60 seconds? Because not, I, I, it's not hard, I, I, it's not easy. It's just something you can do and seems to certainly feel relaxed afterward. I mean, you feel like your blood vessels literally are relaxed. It's a very odd feeling. I mean, yeah, I, it's a, a very high proportion of the population is breathing too fast, hyperventilating. Yes. Uh, and right. So it's, it's beneficial to for most people to uh, hold their breath or breathe slower to some extent, but... Uh, there, there's no way without uh, doing an oxygen consumption test uh, that you can tell exactly how many seconds you should hold it. Gotcha, gotcha. I gotcha. But I, I think that's a good point. If, if you're doing it and you reduce the number of breaths you take during you know, a normal minute without thinking about it, then you've, had, you've improved. You've, there's some benefit, yeah. right, because you're, you're taking fewer 
rest per minute. Yeah. Okay, well, thanks Thanks for your call. We do have uh, another caller on the line waiting to get on in, so let's uh, make sure they get the opportunity. You're on the air. Where are you from? What's your question? Yes, hi. This is, uh, I'm uh, calling from Finland. Finland. Um, and um, always very grateful for your show and, um, you know, just learning so much. Um, my question is unrelated to uh, this week's topic. It's um, it's basically prompted by uh, a recent book in French by a doctor who founded the Oxidative Stress College. And um, so I'd like to know if this whole white fat, brown fat thing is, is good science. Um, what I found in the book, which is, which is, we just came out recently, this is why I dare to mention it, um, is basically the, um, the assumption from this doctor that, you know, you cannot get rid, or it's almost impossible to get rid of white fat. You just accumulate it. And the only one thing that they mention would be to use cold. But I know that in past shows, it has been um, told that, uh, you know, the stress uh, created by applying cold, um, you know, makes it almost worse than not applying it. So this would be one of the questions. And my other question is I've seen a study, basically it's on mice, so I don't know if it's applicable, if it's good science either for men, but that also goes as far to say that starvation or fasting, actually not starvation, fasting would actually reverse the thing. So basically turn good brown fat into bad white fat. So um, any opinions on this would be appreciated. Thank you again. So, Dr. P, what do you have to say about brown versus white fat? I mean, um, uh, uh, there is a lot of good, interesting research on that. And uh, my orientation to it is that uh, the activation of T3, the active thyroid hormone, is the crucial thing. And that, uh, yes, stress will, uh, uh, prolonged fasting is going to have a lot of harmful counterproductive effects, Mm -hmm. and one of those is that it knocks out the T3 in the various tissues. Uh, Even though the T3 that circulates in the bloodstream is uh, two-thirds of it roughly is produced in the liver and about a third in the thyroid gland, but the various tissues of the body, muscles, skin, kidneys, brain, uh, all of the tissues that have been studied are able to produce T3 from T4 locally as uh, to supplement whatever can get in from the bloodstream so that even if your circulation isn't delivering enough T3, uh, your tissue is able to uh, produce it itself. And the crucial factor for producing it locally in the tissue, uh, it's partly glucose, but uh, fructose mm. seems to have a special ability to activate that tissue uh, local production of T3. Uh, And so I would say that um, uh, eating enough sugar, having your orange juice and other fruit regularly throughout the day is much better than either chilling yourself or uh, starving yourself. (laughs) Okay. And uh, may I just ask one more thing, just very quickly. Um, 
if you you know if you were to choose a place to live just based on trying to uh, get your metabolism high, would it be safe to say that you would choose a high altitude, warm, the, the warmest place at high altitude, or yeah, like am Peru. I getting this one right? Uh, somewhere in Peru on a maybe twelve to fourteen thousand foot elevation okay. near the equator. How about Mauna Loa, yeah, Doctor Pete? I, I don't know how high it is. <laughs> I think it's about eight or eight or nine thousand. Oh, uh, yeah, I I, I like uh, like Toluca, Mexico. Uh, <laughs> it's a go. little chilly, but uh, I really feel uh, exhilarated at that altitude, and I, I think it's better to be a little higher, twelve thousand or so. Probably less chance of getting uh, bombed by the Koreans too. Anyway, thanks for your call, uh, caller. Thanks you very much for taking my call. Okay, so for people who'd like to call in, the 800 number is 1-800-568-3723. Dr. Raymond Peake sharing his wisdom with us, uh, going through the motions of how progesterone is uh, demonized time and time again, both in the literature uh, and by corporate scientific interests. Um, so, Dr. P, I wanted to uh, talk about the GABA receptor, <coughs> excuse me, uh, the GABA-A receptor in particular, uh, I know that this is the receptor which progesterone and its metabolite uh, allopregnanolone, uh, which apparently is one of the more active metabolites, but that may just be hearsay too. I don't know what you have to say about allopregnanolone. Uh, these bind to the same uh, GABA receptor, uh, producing that uh, anxiolytic, that kind of calm, uh, peaceful uh, type um, nervous response because they block the excitatory stimulation. Uh, and that um, valeriana uh, officinalis, common valerian, uh, does just that. And I uh, remember very clearly uh, some of our first Materia Medica that was uh, uh, taught to us about valerian and GABA receptors and, uh, and chloride channels, etc., and how the whole excitation is uh, calmed down. So, uh, in, ter in terms of the GABA channel, uh, GABA receptor, and progesterone or uh, allopregnanolone's uh, 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 activity, do you think uh, the metabolite is more active than progesterone per se, or do you think progesterone itself is, is still uh, a good uh, anxiolytic and calming agent? Uh, we talked about anti-inflammatory, anti-edema. Since pregnanolone, uh, the precursor for uh progesterone it itself is pro-GABA. I, I suspect that huh. progesterone in itself is, but uh, it, it is converted, reduced chemically, to form allopregnanolone, and uh, that seems to be the most powerful uh, uh, activator of, of the GABA system huh. in the brain. Right. But uh, I think all of them are... Uh, acting in the same direction, and besides acting uh, to reduce stress and excitation by activating GABA, progesterone uh, also inhibits several of the excitatory processes, including the uh, glutamatergic <clears throat> and NMDA receptor systems. Wow. <laughs> okay, we do have another caller, so let me hold, hold your train of thought there before I uh, question you some more. Caller, you're on the air. Where, where are you from and what's your question? Uh, yeah, Buffalo, um, um, John. Buffalo, uh, New York. Uh, yeah. Um, Two callers from New York. So, and one so, night. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I had a question uh, about um, the spine. Um, so if someone has 
a disc herniation. Um, so it either dries up or the gel breaks through. Mm-hmm. Is it practically possible to regenerate that particular gel? Because uh, I know you've mentioned, I think it's uh, some studies that have been done where people have seen regeneration of different parts of the body, um, although it sounds crazy, but it seems like you said it's been done. So is it, is it possible for the, the space between the disc vertebrae to regenerate? Dr. Pete, what do you think about that with that nucleus pulposus? Do you think that's uh, possible possible to regenerate that? I'm sure you do, but... Yeah, I, I know people get well from it, but I've never seen x-ray evidence that <laughs> right. they actually uh, spaced out the, the distance between the vertebrae. I don't know whether uh, the, the bones themselves can adjust, so I think it would be possible for the, the disc to uh, rebuild itself and... Uh, for the bones to conform themselves to the regenerating uh, cartilage disc. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure you'd probably um, advocate the use of progesterone in, in, in and of itself for and, and thyroid. Yeah, uh, but yeah, I, I've heard and, and seen uh, knee joints and shoulder joints uh, that were making noise and uh, causing uh, relative um, immobility to the person to. Um, uh, heal themselves in from an hour to overnight, uh, overnight uh, a completely uh, uh, functionless knee uh, recuperated to the point that the guy uh, had to come to the house just to run up and down my stairs to show what had happened to his knee. Well, I, this is a sort of a testimony. I've had six knee operations and three herniated discs. And I'm over over sixty, and by being on your diet and mitigating poof, poofa primarily, and trying to do the other stuff that you talk about, um, I almost have no pain. I must say though, the red light is is my go-to thing. If things go bad, the red light yeah. kind of just eliminates pain sure. almost immediately. Yeah, like I can't say that for the other products you speak about, but I I believe the progesterone. I I, I just. I just don't know much about it, but have you ever tried amazing. applying? Uh, have you ever tried applying a progesterone-based oil uh, to that area on your spine where you say you have a uh, herniated disc? Have you tried that? And uh, I don't know if you're using aspirin as anti-inflammatory uh, as an anti-inflammatory compound to reduce uh, swelling. Obviously, that's uh, a primary primary importance during that type of uh, repair. It's funny you mention that because I I. I, I I, I did run today, and I literally put a paper towel in that aspirin solution that Dr. Pete had previously suggested. So I do do that. I, I do believe it. It doesn't just help locally, but I think, based on what I've read in his aspirin articles, it actually helps systemically in a body temperature metabolism. It's just like a, you know, aspirin is um, kind of a un, unappreciated product, as you've well well documented. Um, but no, I've never tried progesterone on the spine, but I remember in one of your programs, I believe, or, or another one that Dr. Pete said you can put progesterone on like a mole, or maybe you were talking about that or DHA Adge- and you put adjacent. it like yeah, near, it, near a mole and it yeah. moved around and eventually got better. Is, is that also possible? Uh, yeah, uh, putting it next to the mole, uh, the, the uh, pigment cells are extremely 
mobile. Uh, they can, if your skin is warm, like in summer, they can travel through your skin close to an inch per day. And huh. if you know where what they're looking for, uh, depending on whether it's on your your forehead or your wrist or, or your chest, if you put it in the right place, uh, they will apparently satisfy their need for the uh, progesterone or DHEA and leave, go back to where they should be to keep keep your hair pigmented, for example. So, so the mold just kind of breaks up because the pigment uh, yeah. sort of it, yeah, the doesn't clump together? They it, it just... congregate because they're deprived of something where they came from. And, and uh, uh, for example, on my temple, I applied... I forget which it was, DHEA or progesterone, uh, on the uh, front side. And uh, the next day there was a ring of, of pigment cells uh, nearly an inch uh, uh, to the back side. Uh, and uh, the uh, mole itself had shrunk. The second day I applied another dab in front of it. And the following day there it was like a bullseye, two brown rings spaced out. Uh, uh, in, a, in a curved line behind it, and the mole itself was again smaller. And um, I kept doing that, and within a few days, uh, a red, shiny uh, blood vessel appearance constricted the base. It had been as big as a dime, and it constricted down to about the diameter of a matchstick and then dried up and fell off and didn't leave a scar. Wow. Okay. Well, thank you. Uh, yeah. So uh, Andrew had mentioned about GABA, and so that just sparked a question based on his comment. Does, is GABA something you can take as a supplement, or does that mess up the rest of your neurotransmitters? Because I know people say, it, well, it you is can take as a and it gets your dopamine up, but that, doesn't that mess up the balance? How, how, do you, how do you deal with that? In animal studies, uh, when they gave it to a, a healthy animal, none of it seemed to get into the brain. But if the animal had been sleep-deprived, so its brain really needed GABA and was in an excited state, then the GABA was able to get into the brain and relax it. Okay, we do have another caller, so let's make sure we get this. Um, thanks for your caller, caller. I don't mean to cut you off. Okay, so quick, you. But we we do you. have another one. And where are you from and what's your question? Uh, Dr. P, hello. My name's Chris. I'm calling from Garberville, California, in southern Humboldt County. Uh, I've tried uh, something called monk fruit sugar, which you may be familiar with. No, no, hadn't heard of it. Okay, monk fruit sugar is a melon, and it comes from southern China. I recently found out about it, and about three months ago I purchased uh, two pounds of it, and I stopped eating table sugar entirely, granulated white table sugar, thank goodness, and brown table sugar. Went to this organic product, tried it, uh, ate like a pound and a half of it over a month, just, you know, putting it on cereal, and et cetera, and all the pain in my body, I think, from the sugar inflammation absolutely disappeared, including like the toes and Extremities, I'm 63 years old, I'm a big guy, but I'm in the process of losing considerable amount of weight. And why I'm telling you about monk fruit sugar is I seem to be progressively losing weight. I'm interested in knowing about the anti-inflammatories. I also have been promoting stevia sugar on another radio station in San Francisco called KGO about uh, 15 years ago. 
and it's uh, kind of taken over in, in America because of its anti-inflammatory uh, low glycemic index, actually zero glycemic. Monk fruit sugar, if you go online and look at it, zero glycemic. It look, it's almost exactly like tab- white table sugar. tastes the same, but it's zero glycemic. So any diabetics out there might want to try monk fruit sugar, which you can, re- you can buy at local health food store. It's more expensive, but, boy, talk about prevention and a pound of cure and all that. What do you think of this? Have you, have you heard of this product, Dr. Pete? Uh, the, the effect of, that I was describing of, of ordinary sucrose, for example, in orange juice, is uh, able to stimulate weight loss by activating the T3 in your fat cells. Uh, so um, uh, fructose is available at, at health food stores in the pure form. Uh, if a person is diabetic, that doesn't increase the, uh, the blood glucose the way. Ordinary. Are you still with me? Yep. Okay. Uh, Why I'm telling you about this monk fruit sugar, uh, M-O-N-K fruit sugar, is that uh, it's zero glycemic. It seems to go in, and everybody in America, everybody in the world has eaten table sugar over a lifetime. But what does it contain? Is it what Uh, what sugar does it contain? I don't know. It's a melon, but I I don't know what the constituencies of it is. I think it's uh, it's mixed with erythritol, which is the yeah. The stevia product, but yeah. uh, the monk fruit. When I when I purchased it and ate it, and the, it's been about two months now, I have absolutely no problems with inflammation. It, it seems to have neutralized the inflammation I have after that uh, two months were over. I started eating white uh, table sugar again in br- organic brown sugar, and it absolutely has negated the effect, all the inflammatory effects of that white sugar. As I've been eating it, I was doing my own experimental study. So I've been uh, telling everybody about it that's overweight that they should go from eating granulated cane sugar, table sugar, to this monk fruit sugar that's uh, in melon form and zero glycemic. Well, I'd be interested to know what uh, what constituents it has. Uh, as for, as so far as stevia is concerned, it's I think it's a pretty toxic product, uh, and like xylitol and all the other sugar substitutes, uh, I do believe that there's a lot more negative effects to them than any positive effects from any lower calories or uh, insulin sensitivity type uh, reactions from their uh, non-sugar sugar. Um, but I've never, uh, yeah, I, I know there's lots of uh, information out there that will say that sugar's toxic or it's pure white and deadly etc and we've totally visited it and i don't think there's any mileage in it not too sure uh, why it is that you would have uh, had your inflammation clear up but it's good that you did uh, who knows what else is going on with you with your thyroid etc you said you were uh, pretty large i don't know if you have any metabolic issues uh, maybe have some uh, low thyroid situation uh, happening with you uh, but typically those situations there do predispose to toxin buildup, and that obviously has its effects, uh, as does weight on the joints. So I think all of those things kind of work against you, but, uh, yeah, happy that you uh, got a reduction in your inflammation. But anyway, Dr. Pete, uh, thank you thank very you. much uh, for joining the show again. Uh, appreciate your time so much. And um, we didn't get through much this evening, but I appreciate the callers that called. Uh, perhaps we'll carry on uh, next month uh, and then go on to another topic from there. Okay, very good. Thanks for your time. Okay, so for people that have uh, tuned into this evening's show, if you uh, place calls, uh, thanks for your calls and input. 
for people that want to find out more about Dr. Pete, uh, www.raypete.com, uh, fully referenced scientific articles that have been produced and plenty of information and references to back up what he's saying. Uh, again, for those people who have listened to the show this uh, evening, the first part I was mentioning about the use of progesterone in traumatic brain injury, uh, do take a look at those two studies. Uh, one, <coughs> excuse me, was the Synapse uh, study, uh, and the other one was the Protect 3 uh, read them. I mean, they seem to show that there is no benefit. And yet, uh, <clears throat> Dr. Donald Stein has produced a paper here in 2017 in the Journal of Neurotrauma. He's been a brain specialist for 30 years. That's all he's done. Uh, and his paper here, I think, outlines quite clearly the shortfalls of the study and that actually progesterone is a very good uh, model uh, for treating uh, this kind of disorder. So there's certainly hope there, and progesterone's got a lot of other benefits that we didn't get into. I know we've mentioned it on other shows, but uh, certainly, uh, certainly not uh, the product that the industry would like to tell you it is, because it's actually estrogen. So again, things back to front. Well, thanks for joining us, and uh, till seven o'clock next Thursday, third Friday of the month, uh, from seven to eight p.m. My name's Andrew Murray. Uh, if anybody wants to reach us, uh, we have an eight hundred or one eight eight number. It's one eight 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 WBM Herb, or through our website, which is WesternBotanicalMedicine.com. So see you next month.